Good morning. I love that video. In fact, I, I said first service, and I'm going to say it again. I am so grateful for the talented people that we have on staff who pull those together for us, for our tech department, for our worship team, all those involved in that. So yeah, I love that. They're sharing their gift, right? That's great. Well, I am also grateful to be here with you this morning as we continue in our series, Growing in Grace. Today, we're going to specifically look at that idea of growing in the grace of talent, the gifts and talents that God has prepared and given specifically to us. And I am also grateful and I am privileged this morning to be joined by Mia Engert. Mia is a senior this year. She's preparing for next step in her own journey as she heads off to college next year. And she's going to share more about how that relates to our topic in just a bit. But if you haven't met Mia, let me share a few things about her. She's taught a few times in student ministry already. She is also a part of our student ministry worship team. You've also seen her on stage as a part of our weekend worship team right behind me from time to time. So this morning, I am grateful that you're going to get the opportunity to hear her heart and how this idea of growing in grace and talent is something that um, has been on her heart lately and something that she just can't not share with you. Now, to get an understanding as we get started of the idea of talents, the subject of talents, I want to introduce you to a man named Reuben Goldberg. How many of you even know that name? Just about as many as in first service. That's good. So Rube Goldberg, as he is referred to, is, a, is well known for his outrageous inventions. Inventions with, that would take the simplest of, tax, of tasks, if you will, and make them into these very complicated processes. I have one here for you to see. I don't know, maybe that looks more familiar to you, right? Taking something so simple and overcomplicating it. He was a cartoonist at heart, and it was all done in fun. And I think when you say Rube Goldberg, you can find that in classrooms and in college campuses around the country. They have these experiments and these competitions doing a Rube Goldberg. In fact, that name is also the only name used as an adjective in our dictionary, a Rube Goldberg. Now, during his 72-year career, imagine that, 72-year career, he produced more than 50,000 drawings and thousands of comic strips. He used things like pulleys and levers. He even used birds and rockets in his drawings to fix the simplest problems and make them into such a complicated solution. Why do I even mention him today? What does that have to do with anything that I'm talking about? Well, it's because he was a thinker. He put his intelligence to work. He took those creative ideas and he applied them with a purpose. He recognized that every action had an intended plan, had an outcome. There was a purpose to everything that he was doing. Now, we know that his inventions were all in fun, but they were not very practical. You would not use a bird or some of these pulley ideas to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish today, those simple tasks. But we, on the other hand, can apply that principle considering a different outcome. So like Goldberg, we too are creative beings. We too are thinkers. Like Goldberg's drawings, we too are created with a purpose because there is a plan, there is an intended outcome. But here's the difference. Unlike Goldberg's drawings, we are created by the ultimate intelligent designer, our God. 
Our designer has a plan and a purpose, and that's what we're going to dig into this morning. So if you want to join me, we're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians this morning. We're going to jump around a bit, but 1 Corinthians is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And I'm going to start right with 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verses 4 to 6, as we consider this intelligent design and the one who gave it to us. Paul writes, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now in this verse, Paul uses the term pneuma, meaning the Holy Spirit as the same spirit in all of us. He uses the term kurios, I may be saying that wrong, referring to Jesus but being the same Lord of our lives. And he uses the term theos, meaning the same God. Now, why does he stress this sameness, this one, when he's writing to the Corinthians? Because when Paul was speaking to them, he was talking to this people group who were worshiping so many different entities. Some they thought were more superior than others. And so what did that lead them to? That that led some people to now believe themselves as more spiritually above their neighbor or better than somebody else. And when I read that, I thought, boy, we can see that today a little bit, can't we? Today there is much talk about spirituality in our culture. But how often do we hear someone mention the Holy Spirit? when they talk about their spirituality? How often do we hear someone mention the name of Jesus when they talk about their spirituality? In fact, how often do we hear someone mention the one true God? So yeah, we hear a lot about spirituality in our culture, but they leave out sometimes the most important person, the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. Now in that same verse, Paul also explains that there are different kinds of gifts. There's different kinds of service and there are different kinds of working. But again, the same God who gives with a different purpose in mind, a different outcome for that individual. So I tried to think of a good example here and I came to the idea of an orchestra. Now, of course, when you start to learn an instrument, I don't know how many of you play an instrument in here, but when you start to learn an instrument, you begin by practicing kind of all by yourself. You and your teacher, your teacher is guiding you and you're practicing what you're learning. You're going to make mistakes because that's how you learn. You're going to begin to develop that talent, to grow it, to learn it, to understand it, to dig into it. And eventually, maybe you'll take on some solo piece and you'll be able to play in front of people on your own. Then one day, you get the opportunity to sit with 40 or 50 other gifted musicians in an orchestra, change things up a bit. Different people bringing their individual gifts to one collective unit. And you quickly begin to discover that these gifted musicians alongside you are playing different instruments, offering different kinds of music, but to the whole piece. And most of you are playing different parts you begin to understand and you begin to comprehend. And each part is offering a different musical element to the whole piece. And somehow, again, somehow, it all fits together. And if everyone is doing what they're supposed to do, it makes a wonderful combined sound. And what do we call it? Music. Right? It's beautiful when it comes together. So how do we apply that to our own lives? Well, we understand, even sitting here among us this morning, that each individual is created with a unique character and personality. 
that each individual expresses that unique character in different ways as they serve our Lord, and that each individual contribution is therefore unique, but like the orchestra, essential to that final unified goal. So the orchestra, whether you play a clarinet, a violin, or a piano, each note is so important to the composition. For the Christian, for the believer, whether you lead a congregation in worship, are a kindergarten teacher, are a builder, a stay-at-home parent, you play an important role in the composition of God's final purpose and plan. Let's even take it one step further. Yes, there are indeed different instruments, but all require the same musicianship, the same practice, the same gift within you to understand music. There's a talent involved in the process. And yes, there are different styles of playing, but they follow the same conductor. And there are different tones and volumes of playing, but it's the same composer who wrote the piece and whose music must come through in that final performance. There is a plan, and it is not by chance. So again, we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this time in verse 7 to 12 as we dig a little bit deeper. Now to each one, Paul writes, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's important. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues." All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with the church, the body of believers. We remember at the beginning we are creative beings, created with a purpose by the ultimate intelligent designer. I think this verse that we just read gives us that permission, not that we needed it, but it gives us that permission to express that uniqueness that we've been given by God. Again, who is the giver of these gifts, of these talents? The same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one promised by Jesus to teach us all things and to guide us in all of his ways. We read that in the book of John, chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. It'll be on the screen but let me read it for you. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, speaking of God. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. These abilities are not my own. These abilities are not your own. They are from the Father through the Spirit as the Spirit guides us in developing each and every one. And lest we forget that, I love what Oswald Chambers writes. He gives us a warning. He says, pride takes many forms, but spiritual pride is the most grievous. 
To become proud of spiritual gifts or leadership position is to forget that all we have is from God. All the position we occupy is God's appointment. All the credit must be given to God. All the boasting, if there is to be any, is um, our God's. It is not ours on our own. And so then, of course, we say, why are we given these talents? Well, we read in that scripture, it's for the common good of the body. Back to our orchestra example. If everyone played only considering their own instrument, only considering their own part, it would be chaos. But when they come together and they play, knowing that there are others around them with a purpose and a plan and needed as a part of the whole, what we hear is music. What we hear is beautiful. Your spiritual gifts were not given for your own benefit, but for the benefit as others. And here's a good point. Just as other people's were given for the benefit of you. It works both ways. I think in this we are a unified body as we share the gospel message for God's glory. So now we come to consider the next question. What are these talents. We heard a lot of them in some of the scripture that we've already read, but let me read you this definition I found that I think fits so well. It says, a spiritual gift is a God-given talent or ability given by the Holy Spirit, allowing that individual to serve God as it benefits the church to perform her mission here on the earth. Now, if you've been following along in our New Testament reading this year, you will have read the beginning of the early church in Acts chapter 2, and it tells the story of this bold introduction that the Holy Spirit made at Pentecost. There was this sound of a mighty rushing wind that came in. There were divided tongues as of fire appeared on the disciples, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were changed. Something divine had occurred, And their purpose, again, that purpose that Jesus had been giving them all along while he walked with them, that purpose took on a new life. It took on a new boldness. In fact, I would say it was a deeper purpose within them now. And those disciples could not keep it to themselves. Those people were cut to the heart who heard. Those people who heard were being saved. Their numbers were increasing daily. Even the priests recognized the truth. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. I think the key word there is obedient. This obedience wasn't forced on them. It was accepted with gratitude. The Holy Spirit offered, and the people accepted Listen to what A.W. Tozer writes about that. He says, spiritual gifts and graces come only to those who want them badly enough. It may be said without qualification that every man is as holy and as full of the spirit as he wants to be, but let's qualify as he says. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most, most certainly as full as he wants to be. What will you receive? It is freely offered, what will you, what will I receive? So as the Holy Spirit began to work in that early church, lives were changed. Community of believers were formed, and the gospel message was being shared. And if you have followed along in that reading plan through the book of Acts and continue into the New Testament and the Old Testament, of course, you're going to see how that is played out again and again and again in people's lives. Different gifts 
different abilities being utilized for one purpose, to honor God, to build up, to support and honor the church. All these gifts of many kinds for one end goal, for one purpose. Let me share with you that you too have a spiritual gift, a talent, something to share in that same manner. It will be different from your neighbor, but you too have something to share. So how do you know what that is? This is where I'm going to bring my friend Mia up to the stage, and I'm going to let Mia share a bit with you this morning as we dig into this most important question. Hi, guys. So we've been talking about this diversity of gifts and how each and every one is good and integral to the functionality of the body. How the body is not whole or well-rounded without an arm or an eye. So what that means is, if your individual gift, if my gift is integral to the whole function of the body, we must then be good stewards of that gift using it for kingdom advancement and not hiding it under a bushel or a basket, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem. Because it wasn't small and it was not insignificant when God presented it to you in your mother's womb. We must work to glorify our creator in every single thing that we do. I really liked how Oz Guinness wrote this in a quote. Our gifts are ultimately God's. And we are only stewards responsible for the prudent management of property that is not our own. That's interesting. One of my favorite Bible verses is Esther 4.14. It's pretty notable because as Esther talks to Mordecai, she feels inadequate and unprepared. She feels like I do on a daily basis, like I did stepping on the stage this morning. Yet, Mordecai tells her that perhaps she was created for such a time as this, a time to use her spiritual gifts to erect real change in her surroundings. Now, not everyone sitting in this room is going to change the entire nation around them and save them from genocide. I'd be pretty impressed if any one of you is going to do that. Yet, the sentiment is still transferable. What if the next time that you felt inadequate and ill-prepared to do something scary, to step outside of your comfort zone, you instead remembered Esther 4.14 and you yielded it like a battle axe? Perhaps you were created for such a time as this. For me, like I said, there have been lots of times in my life where I felt weak and small, but one of the most notable was when I felt God's pull on me to start a Christian club in my very secular school. <laughs> Immediately, I was like, nah, -uh, no way, God, you have the wrong person. Me, I'm nobody, I'm just a high school kid from upstate New York. I pushed back, I tried to run away from a gift that God had given me, a gift to lead. But let me tell you what the first part of Esther 4.14 says. It's a little bit less notable. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance, they will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house, they will perish. If I completely ignored God, 
and didn't utilize my gift for his purpose, he would not have been limited by me. My school would have met Jesus through somebody else. Yet, my disobedience would not go unpunished. Now, don't look at that and be scared. Don't be like, oh man, I have to use my gift right now, otherwise he's gonna strike me down and rain fire on me. No, God doesn't want you to obey him out of fear, but because you love doing it. Remember our friend Jonah? He disobeyed, yet God gave him another chance. He punished him with those nights in the belly of the fish, but then he let him walk free to try again. Which, by the way, God knew exactly how to get Jonah's attention, how to turn him back to the right path, because that's always the goal. He doesn't ever punish us just for the sake of doing it. He wants, us, he wants to bring us back to him. Our God is not a cruel God. He is just and he is loving. Using our spiritual gifts to glorify God brings true joy. Joy is not just a feeling. I hesitate to even call it an emotion because it's far more than happiness. And it's not fleeting. You can search far and wide, spending your whole life trying to fill that pit in your soul with the world. But let me save you some time. You're never going to be satisfied. Outside sources are temporary and they are fleeting. They're imperfect. Joy cannot be found within the world. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, 6, that though there are a variety of spiritual gifts, it's the same God who has given them to each and every single one of us. The more we use our spiritual gifts to glorify God, the more we desire to. God's source is complete and it is perfect, yet it is attainable. When we continuously steward our gifts, we dip into God's never-ending well. And guess what? His water never runs dry. He will always fill that empty pit in our soul because it was made for him and it was made by him. If anyone here is more of a science person like me, allow me to put it in terms of just that. And if any of you are sitting here wondering, can science exist alongside scripture? Allow me to tell you, yes, science is good. It was made by God and it proves God. It's not separate from him for it's all throughout his creation. Anyways, dopamine is a common neurotransmitter associated with reward and joy. As you begin to use your gift for God's purpose, your, br your brain releases dopamine through its neural pathways. These are kind of like trails that are overgrown through a forest. The more that you use this gift, the more dopamine that's released. Over time, neural pathways are changed so that using your gift to glorify the Father is a well-traveled path of reward. You are actively changing your brain to experience joy in doing God's will. You've transformed the overgrown forest trail into a five-lane highway. How cool is that? I think it's cool. Um, if you want to open your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to stay in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26. This says, 
that there, are, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. But let me ask you, how is it possible to remain undivided while being so different? To even have to ask that question shows the state of our world. Differences should not be a dividing factor. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Serve one another. Yes, we are all different. I am very different from Betty, just a few years younger though. But this is good. I can use my spiritual gift to serve Betty, and that will bless me, and she, or bless her. And she can use her spiritual gift to serve me, and that will bless me. God's very grace does not stir up division. It makes it so that when I may be weak, Betty can be strong, and vice versa. Within the body of believers, we may lean on one another so that when you are suffering, your parent is sick, you lost your job, your child has walked away from Christ, I may empathize and suffer with you. I can help to carry your burden, and when I'm suffering, you can share mine. How awful a world it would be if every single one of us was suffering at once, and there was no one to share the load. I'm about to use another science example because if you haven't figured it out, or you don't know me, I love science. That's how God created me. So let's talk about oxytocin, the cuddle hormone. Oxytocin induces neural pathways that invite you to be in community with others. Talking to them, leaning on them, and trusting them. Cute little hormone, right? <laughs> but here's the cool thing. When you feel stressed, oxytocin is released. Why would a hormone for community be released as a stress response? Because God has created this amazing hormone so that we would seek union in one another. He never meant for us to brave the world alone. He created us for community. If any of you this morning are like me, that's pretty encouraging because I'm stressed a lot. <laughs> Don't get me wrong though, life isn't all bad. In fact, there's so much good to find. So the same sentiment goes for times of triumph. We rejoice with one another because we're the body of Christ and another person's joy is just as important as our own. I saw a sweet little quote the other day that said, things are never quite as scary when you've got a best friend. While simple, I think that sums up the life of a believer quite nicely. Except, instead of just one best friend, we've got a church full of brothers and sisters in Christ ready to share the load. We must always remember, though, that love needs to be at the center of our interactions. Because here's the thing, Paul wrote many letters to churches that were ununified. So it's great and all to say that we must celebrate with one another, but to put it into practice is a whole nother thing. It's not always gonna be easy, and don't think I'm saying that it will be. When looking at scripture, Pastor Craig always says that context is king. <laughs> so let's look at the chapters surrounding 1 Corinthians 12, mainly chapter 13, verses one through three. This says, if I speak in the tongues of men 
and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. These spiritual gifts that you've been given by God are nothing if you do not accompany them with love. There's no unification within the church without love, and there is no glorification of the God without love. God has given each and every single one of us a unique and purposeful spiritual gift from his great variety. Yet you can deem it all meaningless if you do not love the person sitting right next to you, the person screaming in your face at work, or the person struggling to make ends meet. Love must be the root for diversity and creative design to flourish. Coming back to this idea of all being part of one symphony. Some of you are probably sitting here right now thinking to yourself, what in the world is my spiritual gift? What instrument do I play? Or even some of you might think that you have no gift, which isn't true. God told us in 1 Peter 4.10 that he gave each of us a spiritual gift. And I don't know if I'm the first one to tell you this this morning, but you fall into that category, God did not miss you. A wise piece of advice that Betty gave me in the beginning of finding my spiritual gift is, look over your life. Look at all the things that you've done, what you've excelled at, and what you have loved. She likes to refer to these things as your joys. What's the thing that links all these joys together? I'll tell you about mine. I just turned 18 years old eight days ago. Yet, I've done a lot in my life. It's definitely hard to know what your gift is because I mean, I don't know. We live in a society where we aren't allowed to say good things about ourselves. So let's change that. My whole life, I've played instruments. I love to learn them, so I collected them like trophies. I've also done art for as long as I can remember, mainly using colored pencil, but my parents have been super supportive, and they let me paint all over my walls. I love to create, to lead. Remember that Christian club that I was scared to start? In my junior year of high school, I started it. I gathered as many people as I could find, and we prayed and read scripture over our school. We're making a profound impact. I love to be outside, always moving. I love science. I'm going into neuropsychology, a developing field, a field in which I'll definitely get to do some trailblazing. And most of all, I love my creator. Okay, so now that you know what I would put on my online dating profile, <laughs> let's play a fun game of connect the dots. Did anyone else notice a common theme? In doing this exercise, I began to realize that my overarching spiritual gift is creativity. And that bleeds into everything that I do, how I work, how I learn, and how I play. So what are your joys? What's the common theme between them? Maybe that can help you find your spiritual gifts. Whether you love to bake, to sing, or to do complicated physics problems. The goal is always to glorify the one who gave us those interests. God opens doors, allowing us to use our talents and our spiritual gifts. If now you're sitting here worried, saying, well, I'm not perfect at what I like to do, and my gift, I'm not even all that good at it right now. Don't worry, God will perfect it. 
All he asks is that you start the process of glorifying him and he will finish it. He provides the wisdom, the desire, the growth, and the progress. We aren't doing this on our own. In fact, we're in pretty good company. Thank you. Okay, so I have to follow that. <laughs> I want to share with you one thing I thought I didn't share this in first service, but it just really struck me as I was hearing Mia teach. She used the idea of, um, she used the Esther quote, right? I met Mia as I served at student ministry. It was just a serving opportunity, and I, I just loved it, and I went for it. And then um, I got to know Mia and Fallon, another friend uh, that we, we've joined together in through one-to-one -one discipleship. If you're not serving in an area, boy, I encourage you to get yourself involved. But then I began to think about that Esther quote, and I thought, if I did not take those opportunities, and that's what they were, those opportunities for such a time as this, someone else could have taken those opportunities, would have taken those opportunities, but I would not be able to experience the blessing and the joy uh, in the process. So again, I encourage you. As Mia and I prepared for this message today, it became more and more evident that, more and more evident than ever that we all need to work together. Men and women, all ages, young and old, <laughs> all vocations, working together, all the unique gifts and talents for one unified purpose, to share his message, his message of hope and salvation with the world. Because we are creative beings, created with a purpose by the ultimate intelligent designer. So my question for you is, do you know him? This morning, as you sit here, as you watch online, do you know him? Because all he has planned for you is unreachable without him. When confidence is in short supply, we need him. When fear wants to take the front seat of our lives and drive us, we need him. We need our Lord and Savior to be there and to be guiding us. So if that's you this morning, if you have yet to take that first step to accept him as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you in this moment not to wait another moment, but to take that opportunity to reach out to him directly because he already knows. He already knows. And he has just the perfect plan and way to reach you this morning. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that you give each and every one of us to participate in your plan and your purpose. We are unique, but what an amazing gift that is. We don't have to be the same. We don't have to look at our neighbor and wish that was us because you've already given us all that we need. And as we move forward to glorify you in your plan and your purpose, you equip us each step of the way. I need not worry about tomorrow or next year because I know that you will be there with me, equipping me and guiding me every step of the way, building your church, sharing your message of hope with the world. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to participate. I thank you for the friends that you've invited in my life, so many, too many to mention. I thank you, Lord, for the relationships and for the opportunities that you provide. And so, Lord, for those who don't yet know you or just desire to know you deeper, Lord, as you speak to their heart this morning, which I know that you will, I pray that they would open their hands and receive. 
I pray, Lord, that as you give freely and abundantly, that they would open their, open their hands and begin to receive uh, and change their hearts. As the Holy Spirit changed, people, would their hearts begin to change as well? We love you, Lord. We lift this up to you and thank you and ask that it honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.